want to thank you for being here. I know there's a lot of places you could choose to be on Sunday morning. Um, I thank you for being here. I thank you for joining us online. Um, I, want, I want to talk this morning about something. If you follow God long enough, you're going to encounter this. If you follow God long enough, you're going to earn an advanced degree in waiting. You'll earn the advanced diploma of faith through the school, the university of waiting and delay. It's just how it's going to go down. The difference between baby Christians and mature Christians, one of the differences is this. Baby Christians worship God only for what God does. And that's valid. Should absolutely worship God for what God does. The Bible says all throughout scripture that we remember what you've done in years gone by, because it gives us faith for what you're going to do. And so it's right to worship God for what he does. But that's the easy part. Mature Christians worship God for who God is, regardless of what he's done. See, there's something about God that's worthy of worship because he's great. He doesn't have to prove how great he is by what he does. He's great. And mature Christians understand that there are times that you just have to worship him because he's God. The problem is that when we're forced to wait on God, it starts to chip away at our trust because we think, God, if you are great and if you are good and if you are loving, you won't make me wait so long. So the longer I wait, it seems like the waiting starts to chip away at my faith and I start to doubt. But the only way for a Christ follower to become a mature Christian is to be forced to wait when it appears that God's doing nothing. See, we've got to learn to wait on God. And we've got to learn to worship God for who he is, not just what he does. Now, oftentimes, when we're forced to wait, when we're put in the waiting rooms of life, when we're forced to wait in line for God, we take the waiting as a sign of his inactivity, when in reality, waiting is an aspect of God's sovereignty. I want you to understand that. When we're forced to wait on God, we oftentimes view that as a sign of his inactivity, that he's not doing something for me, with me. But when actuality, waiting is simply an aspect of his sovereignty. He says, I am in control and I'm orchestrating all things. Just wait and be patient. You don't see it yet, but I'm sovereign. And all through the Bible, mature Christians understood this and immature Christians missed it. You go back to John 11. Jesus is from Lazarus is sick and his sisters call to Jesus to come heal Lazarus and Jesus waits four days until Lazarus dies. And then by the time he shows up at Lazarus' tomb, his sisters are crying and they make the charge against him. You waited too long. And Jesus says, well, hold on there, sister. You're right, I waited. Because I want you to know about my sovereignty even over death. They missed it. 
The writer of Psalm 27 says this, wait on the Lord and be of good courage. The writer of Psalm 33 says, our souls wait for the Lord. Our help and our shield is he. The writer of Psalm 37 says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. The writer of 130 says, wait for the Lord and put your hope in him. Isaiah said, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings as eagles and run and not go weary and walk and not faint. Micah said, I will wait for the God of my salvation. And Paul to the church in Galatia said, through the spirit and faith, we wait. Waiting has always been a part of what it means to be a Christ follower. Our problem is that we're conditioned to value speed and we hate waiting. See, in our world, progress equals speed, right? Nothing advances and gets slower. You understand? So, iPhone users. You know the reason you move from an iPhone 8 to an iPhone 27, whatever it is now? Why did you upgrade? Because the new one is faster. Progress gets better, gets faster. Now, just to, to put it in context, for me, I, when I was a child, see, I'm old enough I can talk about when I was a kid. When I was a child, they didn't have these things called microwaves. When I was a child, to make a baked potato, you had to put it in the oven. The problem with when I was a child, You'd have to turn the oven on a good 15 minutes before you could put the potato in because it had to warm up. And you know how long it takes to make a baked potato in an oven? No, you don't know because you have microwaves. <laughs> don't you young people start thinking you know what it is to cook a baked potato in an oven because you don't. But us old folk, we understand it takes a long time. You got to think ahead. We learned a secret. You put, take a 16-penny nail and put it in the potato before you put it in the oven because then the oven heats up the nail, which goes the inside of the baked potato. It still takes a long time. You understand? When I was a child, in order to communicate with someone that you weren't in the same room with, you took out a piece of paper and a pen and actually wrote a thing called a letter. And you used full sentences and correct uh, punctuation and you stuck it in an envelope and, get, and licked a stamp. They didn't have these self-sticking stamps back then either. They actually had to lick a stamp and put it, and then you put it in the, in, in, in the mailbox, and then maybe three days later, it got to where it was going. And then depending on how quickly they wanted to write you back, they did the exact same thing. So you could go weeks without hearing from somebody. But now, people don't write letters anymore. What do they do? Because why? Because things have progressed and have gotten faster. You understand? We value speed. When I was a child, <laughs> when we wanted to buy something that wasn't in the store, we had these other things that were comprised of multi-pages of paper called catalogs. <laughs> and you looked through the catalog and figured out what you wanted, and then you had to cut stuff out and fill out paperwork and then mail it again. <laughs> but nowadays, you don't have catalogs, you have what? Amazon, and, 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 and understand this, now some, for some of y'all, Amazon is too slow, so you get Amazon Prime. <laughs> Next day delivery, right? So we've been conditioned to value speed, and there's something about us that hates waiting, right? Even if we're at a red light, if we know the light's going to turn green eventually, if it takes too long, we hate waiting. 
mean, do people not know how important we are? I can't wait. There are a few things we like better than walking to the front of a long line and not having to wait. There's something about that that makes us feel powerful. It makes us feel special. It makes us, it validates everything we want to believe about ourselves. Back in the 90s, I was, uh, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was a young pastor in the early 90s, and we did this big uh, pastor event. Well, we didn't. I, wouldn't, I didn't do anything. I showed up because uh, um, nobody cared about me back then. I was nothing. Um, but So we show up to this event in Atlanta, Georgia, with all these pastors. Huge thing. Uh, and back in the 90, early 90s, there was this thing, this restaurant kind of themed deal called Planet Hollywood. Uh, and they were taken over, they were just blowing up. There was one in Atlanta, Georgia. And so I want to take all these old pastors to, uh, to a fun night. And so I'm like, hey, let me just, you know, let, let me just treat you this. Let's go to Planet Hollywood. So we, it was a brand new Planet Hollywood in Atlanta, Georgia. And, uh, and it was packed. And one reason it was packed, because the Evander, the real deal, Holyfield, was having a party in the upstairs part of Planet Hollywood. I love Evander, man. Even half-eared Evander loved him. <laughs> Uh, and so we're like, well, let's see if we can get in. Well, the line was out. It was ridiculous. They weren't letting many people in. But one of my best friends growing up was one of the managers of Planet Hollywoods. Whenever they would open a new Planet Hollywood, they would call him, and he, would, he ran one of the elements of the business. He was personal friends with the three guys that started Planet Hollywood, which was the governor, Arnold, Rocky Balboa, otherwise known as Sylvester Stallone, and the beautiful, bald-headed Bruce Willis. And so my friend was like, he, like he, he taught these guys all the time. And they would send him to open. So what did I do? That was back when, when, when cell phones were kind of, you know, coming on the scene. And I called my buddy and I said, hey, you've got to hook us up here. He said, don't worry about it. I got you covered. He calls me back about five minutes. He said, you go up to the front of the line. You tell them who I am. You tell them what you're there for. They'll take care of you. Do you know how good I felt? <laughs> I walking like I was from Chicago. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I had it. I had it. Because there's something, one, we hate about waiting, and it feels so good to cut in the front of the line. We think about it in a business. When, when you're a good client to a business, you expect preferential treatment. When, when, when you do a lot of business with a company and you always pay your bills, when you contribute to their business a lot of money, when you don't go to other businesses to get your needs met, when you refer people to that business because they've been so good to you, you expect special treatment, right? Right? You expect to get to go to the front of the line. Our problem is when we carry that same attitude over to God. And we think, God, I've been a good client. I've done a lot of work for you and with you. I've contributed a lot to you. Which, by the way, have you ever noticed how small a $50 bill looks at the grocery store and how big it looks in church? That's just something to think about. <laughs> but we think we've contributed a lot. I've even referred people to you, God. I expect preferential treatment, right? No, you're not going to agree with me on that one? You're like, no, I don't. I, I'm a mature Christian. We feel like, it. God, I'm a good client. I should not have to wait like everybody else. We hate waiting. 
And we hate waiting when there's no sign that God's doing anything. See, mature Christ followers can worship God even when there's no sign of God doing anything for them. Now, last week we talked about Mary. Mary had a sign. She got visited by an angel. That's a pretty good sign. And then God sent her to Elizabeth as confirmation that God could, in fact, do anything. That's a pretty good sign. And sometimes God is good to us that way to give us a sign. As a matter of fact, if you look at the Christmas story, the story of the people involved with the birth of Christ, everyone in the Christmas story had a sign. Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, had a sign. He was visited by an angel. Mary had a sign. She, too, was visited by an angel. Mary had another sign. She was allowed to go see Elizabeth, who had also had a sign that she too would have a baby as confirmation of God's sign. Joseph had a sign. He was visited by an angel and said, don't get rid of Mary now. She's going to be all right. The shepherds had a sign. They had a whole bunch of angels out in the field as their sign. Even the wise men had a sign for two years in a star. Everybody had a sign. Everybody knew God was up to something. But there was one who didn't, who had no sign no confirmation, who just waited and waited and waited. His story is in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 25. If you have a Bible and got one handy or a smart device or something, I would strongly encourage you, go to Luke chapter 2, verse 25. It's also on the app. Follow along. This is what the Bible says. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was what? He was waiting. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents, the parents of Jesus, Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. All the other people in the Christmas story waited on God. And they had faith in God because they had a sign from God. What about those who don't have a sign? What about those who have no confirmation beforehand of what God is doing? See, it's hard to wait on God when all the signs seem to point that he's doing nothing. Simeon waited. See, we can say, God, how great thou art, because God acts and because God answers prayers. But can we also say, God, how great thou art during his silence? See, God wants to know this about people who choose to follow him. Can you worship me even when it appears I'm doing nothing for you? Can you worship me even when it appears I'm doing nothing you? Am I that great of a God? Simeon is a name few recognize. Simeon is never the role cast in a Christmas pageant. 
Rick, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but is there any Christmas carol centered around Simeon, the old man? None. Just remind, remember what, this, what the scripture says. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. He was righteous and devout, and he was waiting. Just waiting and waiting and waiting year after year after year. And the Holy Spirit confirmed in him that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. See, Simeon teaches us a couple things. One of the things that Simeon teaches us, Simeon teaches me to believe even when there is no sign. See, all the others in the Christmas story had external confirmation of what God was doing. All the others had a sign. All the others had an external confirmation. Simeon was different, though, because Simeon not receiving external confirmation, Simeon had internal revelation. And there's a vast difference between receiving external confirmation and internal revelation. See, the difference, anyone can believe with external confirmation. And this is why we pray, God, give me a sign. God, let me know. God, let me see. God, just remind me. God, just assure me. And what we're looking for is external confirmation. I have to know, God, that you're doing something. But can you believe, trust, and worship with only internal revelation? When the Holy Spirit tells you what God has already said, and there isn't a sign, there's just a word. And there isn't a sign, there's just the Holy Spirit saying, just relax, I'm in control. That's hard. Simeon teaches us to believe in the weather isn't a sign. Some of you have been waiting a long time. A long time. And some of you feel like you got no sign. And God says, Can you still worship me? Am I still great? See, this is this, this is a message for like um, Christians 2.0. Like this isn't an easy message. And this is hard to internalize. But God says, if you want to follow me, you're going to earn your advanced degree in waiting. Verse 27, the first part of it, moved by the spirit, Simeon went into the temple courts. One thing that we've got to learn from Simeon is that God moves when I worship. God moves when I worship. Where was Simeon when he saw baby Jesus? He was at the temple. What do you do at the temple? You worship. Here's what I know, and here's what we have to realize. While I'm waiting on God to speak, God is waiting on me to worship. When we're sitting here saying, God, please, God now, God move, God do, God, God's saying, I will, and I am, but you need to worship me first. You understand? So much of our Christian life is spent waiting on God to do something, waiting on God to do something, waiting on God to do something. The whole time I believe God is saying, I'm waiting on you to worship me first. You want to treat me like Santa Claus? Treat me like a bubblegum machine? You put a prayer in, get something out? You have missed me, God says. You've missed me. 
And it's a disservice to you if I just respond to every request without you learning to wait and worship me first. How did Simeon just happen to be in the temple the day Mary and Joseph just happened to show up with Jesus? What, Brandon? That's it. He was always there. There's no way he could have missed it. He was always there. See, Simeon knew that God moves through the church. He was an old man at church. I love the fact that he wasn't at the coast experiencing God. He wasn't up in the mountains experiencing the God of creation. I get close to God that way. He was at church because he knew that God moves in the church and through the church. I love the fact that he's an old man at church, waiting on God at the place of worship, worshiping. Think for a moment all the events that had to take place for this one event to happen. Just think for a moment. God had to send an angel to Zechariah convincing him that his old woman wife was going to have a baby in her old age. God had to then move a closed menopausal womb to open up to be able to receive a child. God then had to send an angel to Mary to convince Mary, look, it's okay, girl, but you're going to be the only virgin pregnant girl in the history of the world. And then God had to send an angel or had to send Mary to Elizabeth so Mary would have the confirmation externally that God could in fact do what anybody else couldn't do. Then God had to send an angel to Joseph to convince Joseph not to divorce her because he didn't understand what God was doing. And then God had to prompt Caesar Augustus to issue a decree for the entire Roman world that a census should be taken and a taxation should happen nationally. Every family had to go to their place of origin, which would now send Mary and Joseph from where they were in Nazareth to Bethlehem to be taxed. God had to then mobilize the entire Roman world and the entire Israel nation to go through that tax. Do you know how hard it is to convince a Jewish businessman to pay taxes? And then God had to protect a nine-month-old baby on an arduous journey to get her to Bethlehem. Whoa. And on top of that, God had to protect this old man, Simeon, and keep him protected and in church so he could be at this day at this time. And then God had to order his day so he would be actually at church at this time. There was a lot that went into this. He's always working, even if nobody could see it happening at the time. You understand? Verse 22, when the time came, there was a time that was coming. And when the time came, when it was completed, And Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus and Simeon happened to be there at this time. One of the things that Simeon teaches us is that God has sovereign control over all things, all things, all things. You can have faith while waiting because God ain't never late. Ever. Leviticus, do you know why Mary happened to be at the temple this day? Because of what it says in Leviticus 12. You go back to Leviticus 12. The law gave clear instruction on what a woman would do in having a child. The interesting thing to me, and I, 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 I didn't share this in the last service. It just kind of, I want to share it with you. The Bible says when they had completed the rites of purification, These purification rights were only given to the woman. They weren't given to the man. The man had no responsibility in this. It was to the woman. The thing I love about this story is Joseph was so committed to his wife. 
He was so in her corner. He was so by her side. He was so in love with her that the Bible says when they completed it, he had no responsibility, but it was an act of love to say, woman, I am with you in this and I love you and nothing but death will separate me from you. It's beautiful. And the Bible says that when a woman has a son, and it was different for if she had a, a daughter, but when a woman had a son on the eighth day, they, she would bring him to be circumcised. And then 33 days later would be the culmination of the purification. So on the 41st day, they were to bring the child to be dedicated. And when they did that, the Bible says they were to bring with them a one-year-old lamb. Why a one-year-old lamb? As a commemoration, as a, as a memory of the 10th plague of Egypt, that it was the lamb who was slain with the blood over the family that protected them from the death angel and when it would pass over that home and they would be protected because of the blood of the lamb. This was a sign and a, a, a prefiguring of this Christ child that was coming to the temple right now. It was all in fulfillment of everything that God had already been doing for which his people had been long waiting. Now the Bible made it clear, if you can't afford a lamb, you can bring two doves or two pigeons. If you're too poor and can't afford a lamb, you can bring two doves or two pigeons. Let me ask you this, do you know what Mary and Joseph brought? Verse 24, just prior to this, offer a sacrifice in keeping what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves, or two young pigeons. Do you know what this means about Mary and Joseph? They were dirt poor. Can I just tell you, some of you, like me, knows what it is to be poor. To have the electricity shut off, to have no running water, to live in meager means when probably you shouldn't have to. And I love that. I love that I know that. Because my Jesus knew that. Jesus has an affinity with the poor. Do you understand? He's got a soft part in his heart for the poor. And sometimes when you're poor, you're just waiting on God to do something. And when nothing happens for a long time, you wonder if he really is doing something. One of the things I love, and my parents did such a beautiful job, especially when I was young, of convincing me that God was still up to something good, regardless of what we went through. You understand? And so Jesus comes, not in opulence nor in comfort. Jesus comes, not born to a wealthy family with privilege. Jesus comes, not exercising authority, nor with the privilege that he should have experienced. He left that all actually to come. And Jesus came going through what we go through, having to wait time and time and time again. His disciples say, Jesus, would you do this? Jesus, would you? And he said, my time has not yet come. I have to wait on the hand of the Father and the Father's time, just like you do. I love that about my Jesus. And God wants to remind us this morning that he is the great I am. And he is worthy of worship. Regardless of the sign you have or the sign you don't. That he is worthy of worship because he is sovereign over all things. 
Moving heaven and earth in the background. There's not a situation, there's not a scenario where his hand is not all over it and his footprints aren't all on it. That he's working and walking in the unseen. He is the great I am. He knows the needs you have. He is your great I am. He knows what you're waiting on. He is the great I am. You've been asking and pleading and praying and waiting. God win, God win, God win. And God says, worship me first. I am the great I am. And I am worthy of your worship, regardless of the sign you have and don't have. I am the great I am. And God says, it's time you start honoring me for who I am. Now wait. Do you understand? God says, I am. And I am never late. He says, I come to the broken, and I come to the poor, and I come to the forgotten, and I come to the disenfranchised, and I come to the proud, and I come to the strong, and I come to the favored, and I come to the privileged. I come to you all because I'm going to make you all wait. That's what he says. Because he knows that because I want you to grow so much, God says, uh, the best way I can help you grow is to make you wait. Ben, come up here please. Here's, here's how this is going to go down. We either in faith are going to choose to follow God through a relationship with Christ and submit to waiting for him, or we're going to reject that option and he will break us in making us wait. Do you understand? So my encouragement for us this morning is to choose Christ and be patient in waiting. And while you wait to worship him for who, sometimes God gives us external confirmation of what he's doing. Most of the time he gives us internal revelation. My encouragement this morning is to grab onto the internal revelation that he's already given us through his word and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and said, God, even without external confirmation, I will wait because you are the great I am. And God looks at us and says, I understand you're waiting for me to work. I'm waiting for you to worship. And so we have the perfect opportunity right now to readjust our focus and readjust our priority and readjust our hearts in this moment and worship God because he is the great I am. How great he is. I want you to pray with me. Father, thank you. Father, thank you that you love us so much that you would send your son to die on the cross for the spiritual consequences that we couldn't pay. Jesus, thank you that you were so submissive 
and obedient to your Father's will that you chose to allow yourself to be crucified. Father, I thank you for how you were moving all of creation to culminate on that day, not just of birth, but also of crucifixion, not just of crucifixion, but also of resurrection, and not just of resurrection, but to be here in this place with us. Some of us are still waiting on you, God. Some of us have been waiting a very long time to see your hand at work and your footsteps in our lives. We will continue to wait, but Father, this morning our focus is different. Though we wait, we will choose to worship. And as we worship, Holy Spirit, I ask for your internal revelation of what the Father is about to do. So, Father, we worship you because you are the great I am. And with your eyes closed, let me just take another opportunity right now. Some of you who are listening right now need to, again, or maybe for the first time, put Jesus on the throne of your heart. And so I want to invite you in this moment to approach this throne of grace because it's there that you will receive mercy and find grace for this need of salvation. So I want to invite you between you and God. It's real simple, ABC. God, I admit I'm a sinner because I've broken your law. Jesus, I believe you are the only way for me to come to God and I commit to follow you as best I can. ABC, I admit I'm a sinner. I believe, Jesus, you are my way to God and I commit best as I know how to follow you. Father, there are people who are praying that prayer. I pray that in this moment they would feel your pleasure as you and the angels of heaven rejoice that another one has joined a team. Father, though there's some of us that have made that prayer a long time ago, and yet we sit waiting and waiting and waiting. And some of us have been so overcome with our desire for you to move and the pain we have in waiting that we've questioned your hand. Father, forgive us. Forgive us. We choose in this moment to again, as a community, Choose to worship you because you are the great I am. You stand outside of life. You stand outside of creation. You are so great that we can't even understand who you are. So in, even in the absence of understanding, we take a moment in discipline to simply worship you because you are, you are, you are the great I am. For every need, you're the great I am. For every want, you're the great I am. For every waiting, you are the great I am. And so hear your people and hear our voices, understand our hearts. You are great and mighty and worthy to be praised. You are the great I am. <laughs>